0: What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from Williams A. Amira. An inmate at the California State Prison. San Quentin, this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different, complete guy, which is a guy who walked walkways of San Quint's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around He was just me.
1: Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said we're gonna do seventy-five sets of these. To me that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out, so that you're <laughs> No no,
0: that's actually funny. That's not, and it's funny not, and I'll tell you why in That's a good one man. No, 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 anyway.
1: <laughs> so this is the is this the fifth or sixth guy that was executed? six right
0: this is a six yeah um get to run sarapongs
1: all right welcome to death row diaries i am matt ralston and i'm william a nagara from death row and today we're continuing we're chronicling the the men who've been executed on death row since uh since executions resumed and. Uh, so, yeah, we're just plowing along, and I I got to say that I, I'm having a hard time saying this guy's name, so maybe you want to kick us off with that.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, his name is uh, Jay Turan Sirupong, but he was known on the row as Jay. That makes it a little bit easier for us.
1: Sure, I'll just call him Jay. Um, so, this is a... Uh, I guess this is a a bit of an interesting case in that this guy was accused of killing two people, um, and it seems as though people have a lot of good things to say about his demeanor and his... Even the, the warden, kind of something he had never done before, kind of spoke against the execution of this guy from what I read. Is that right?
0: Yeah, he had neither the warden of St. Quentin, but he had the um, the Pope John Paul II, and uh, he also had uh, the the Thailand uh, government contact the Secretary of State, uh, Madeline Albright, as well as President Clinton, and Governor Gray Davis uh, to ask for clemency for him, which were all denied. So yeah, he did have a lot of support. Because he did not fit the appearance bill of what a killer should look like, and that's a bit deceptive. And uh, I'll explain why. In the last uh, couple of episodes, we had Tommy Thompson, and I kind of, well, we both kind of defended him. We, you know, we said, "Hey, this guy was probably guilty of participating in the homicide, but the rape is was obviously not true." And that's what got him the death penalty. Jay Serapon, it, it's a little bit different. He doesn't look like a guy who would be a murderer. I mean, he's a, he was a practicing Buddhist. He, he, he had gone to school to become a, to a monastery, to become a Buddhist monk. And while on death row, he's very quiet, very eloquent. He became somewhat of, a, of an artist. of, And no one really seemed to think he fit the bill. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here. And I know there's people listening thinking, okay, what is Bill going to do today? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this guy apart in terms of his personality. As I've mentioned before, I'm a student of human behavior. And I look at people and I watch people for a living. That's what I do. And Jay Serapon wore a mask, a very well-constructed mask. And he lived the part but given the right circumstances, he took the mask off. And I will explain why I'm saying this during this time that you and I discuss his case.
1: Yeah, he, I kind of, I think I understand what you're saying. Um, it was like he had kind of cultivated uh, an image for himself that was uh, largely based on a kind of Buddhist aesthetic, almost a stereotype. That's kind of um, that was kind of my thoughts on it. Um, so, I mean, this guy did have an interesting life prior to to uh, being sentenced. Um, he's Thai. He was born in Thailand. He was very poor. Um, when he was twenty. He was robbing a convenience store and was shot in the head. I guess the store owner was defending his property and he was sentenced to prison then in Thailand and got out, um, I think, in, in about a year. because very good behavior. Um, and then he somehow becomes a cook on a U.S. cargo ship he apparently aided drug authorities in a sting operation. Somehow he got enough money to essentially buy his way into the United States. That is what how I interpreted it. Does that sound familiar?
0: Correct. And this is where I want the audience to start really paying attention and listening to what we're saying about this guy. Obviously, he comes from very poor beginnings. Um, some of the background is he spent sometimes days without eating. Some was very poor. And one of the, the biggest things about looking at the death penalty, of course, is those people who are very poor. You don't find people with money on death row. So obviously, he begins to steal. That's understandable. It's not, um, you know, we're not sitting here saying to advocate for people to rob and steal when they're hungry, but I can understand what he's doing. And of course, yes, he gets a year. He gets shot in the head for good behavior. And here is that behavior again. He acts a certain way. He he realizes that he gets released because of good behavior. It's an act. He gets out, and he joins a monastery. And he's there for a short time. He is cultivating this mask. And then he quits the the Buddhist lifestyle or monastery, And immediately jumps into becoming a cook on a ship. And here's where you really see, or at least I see, the pattern. So, Matt, if you became a cook on a cargo ship, the chances are that a drug smuggler is going to come up to you and give you insight into what he's doing. And further, offer you a partnership is probably nil to zero. Because you are not a criminal. You don't have criminal behavior. You don't do things that are criminal. You don't see things around you that are normally going around unless you're a criminal. And yet Jay, very soon after he's on his ship, he finds this guy who's got this smuggling operation going on. So that right there was a big red flag for me. That... He's obviously involved in criminal behavior even after getting out of prison because he finds this guy. and He becomes part of this operation. But he goes to the authorities. He becomes part of the sting operation. But of course, he's receiving money for this. He's getting a benefit from this. You can see he's very opportunistic. But more so, what a lot of guys in the road did not know, that he was a snitch. Had they known that... He never would have walked off the yard. But he did know that. And it's one of the reasons he didn't spend much time in East Block. Instead, he went to North Seg, where that where that, that is obviously looked upon differently. Those are for guys who are trying to do their own time. They don't want to get involved in anything. They don't care about prison politics or behavior rules or any of the other rules that govern prison behavior. So he
1: spent most of his time up there. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing he f- he may have fared all right because he didn't kill any women or children, and he's he's incredibly passive, right?
0: Absolutely. You would never think this guy is a threat at all, but he is. He just wears a very well-placed mask. And um, as I said, I'm not here just to break this guy down and put him down. I'm here to tell the audience the truth so the audience can... You know, leave this, um, this podcast with learning something new about these particular type of characters. And he's a perfect example of one. So, of course, yes, he then gets into the United States because of the money they gave him. And it isn't, what, a year later that he's now robbing another small store, this time in Orange County and Garden Grove, the, uh, the Pantia or Pantaya market in Garden Grove where, um, and I'm sorry about the name, um, uh, Pat Watson was robbed and the, um, her, her clerk, Mr. Nugent were both robbed and then murdered and found in a storage closet um, uh, Mrs. Uh, Watson Poran had been strangled to death. Mr. Nguyen was stabbed to death. He had multiple stab wounds to his hands, neck, head. So he obviously fought back, defending himself. Uh, there was also a cord tied around his right arm. And this is six years after the first time he goes to prison, one year after he's allowed into the United States. And... Um, Law enforcement discover uh, a bloody uh, bloody clothes, a bloody cord, like the one that was tied around the victim's arm in the store's dumpster. And it doesn't take but a few days. And Jay Sarapongs, on December 17, is arrested when he attempts to buy a television set with the credit cards that
1: belong to the victims. Yeah, and, and one of the victims, um, I think, sold jewelry, and he, he had... He was in possession of some of the jewelry. Uh, and these were people that he, from what I understand, he worked as like uh, grinding and manufacturing, basically, like like manufacturing eyeglass lenses is what I understood. But I think as like a part-time thing, he would kind of work in this market. So I don't know if he was friends with these people, but he, he was definitely acquainted with them, right? He's very
0: familiar. That's one of the parts of his of his, for lack of a better term, his M.O., he gets to know the situation, he understands what he's dealing with, he finds their weak points, and he attacks those weak points. Uh, the evidence quickly grew against him when his blood matched the blood found on the court clothes in the dumpster. He also had a lot of cuts around his hands and arms, which are consistent with what happens during, which are consistent with what happens during the type of brutal attack that he was involved in. Even if you're the one, the aggressor, stabbing somebody, when you have a knife in your hand and there's blood, the hand slips, your other hands are cut. So these all were consistent with that type of situation, and he had all of those cuts on his hands when they arrested him. And I'll be back. Thank you for using Global Tail Link. Hey,
1: man. Hey, So, yeah, he has these wounds on him. They match, you know, what would be a struggle with the victim. It's an open and shut case. He's obviously guilty. His uh, blood is matching. We know the motive. That's the credit card, the jewelry. Uh, I don't know if part of the motive was he enjoyed killing. I have no idea. But anyway, they've got him and he doesn't have much of a defense. So uh, how do they... they Yeah, you're absolutely right, but also law
0: enforcement, they next searched his um, his car in his home, and there they revealed a knife set that was consistent with the knife used to kill the victim, and as well as they found the victim's blood and several pieces of truly belonging to the victims worth thousands of dollars in his his home. So you're right, open and shut case. Um, During the... Uh, interrogations, police, uh, law enforcement interrogations. He admitted that he was involved in help helping rob the store. However, he insisted that he was not involved in the killing, nor was he the killer. But he refused to say who committed the murders. Which, here again, I would, you know, if I was a prosecuting attorney, I would say, take a look at Exhibit A here. So this is a little inconsistent with his prior behavior. We saw him involved in a uh, drug smuggling scheme. Somebody else is involved. He immediately snitches this guy out. He gains favor, and he gains access to money that would lead him to the United States. Here, very clearly, if someone else was involved, because of his track record, he would immediately snitch on that other person to gain favor to somehow wiggle out of this thing. Yet in this situation, he doesn't do that. He says that he's not the
1: killer and he refuses to say who the killer is. Right. That makes no sense. As if he has these deep convictions, whereas, to be real, anyone would probably rat out someone who had killed two people and you just happened to be there or whatever if it means you're literally your life. Um, So yeah, that doesn't ring true uh, at all. Um, I'm so interested in this drug dealing thing that he got caught up in. I wish we had some more information on that, but like you said, he did uh, flip and become an informant. And so he, he screwed someone over in that process.
0: Completely. So why would he be loyal to this other person? It just makes no sense. He didn't give anybody up because there was nobody else to give up. I mean, let's just call it for what it is and, and move on from it. I mean, there's a lot of people speaking up for this guy, and I understand it. Look, if you're against the death penalty or you're for it, you're going to stick to your guns. I completely understand. I respect your position. But this isn't about this. This guy is dead. I'm not, you know, writing this guy out. I'm just stating facts so we can look at this from a point of view that's. Uh, I guess so there is no motive in, my, in what I'm saying except that it's the truth. And his behavior, how I see it, is what should be looked upon, not his words. Same thing when he was in the row here. he walk around with Buddhist beads in his hands. You know, he drew little flowers, little hummingbirds. And I get that. I get what he was doing. And he got a lot of people to speak up for him because he wanted support, but there was always an end game to this. And, but that can be said about anybody, really. Any, that can be said about me. You know, I do this podcast. I do a lot of different things. There's a reason for it. You know, I want to be looked upon a certain way. Well, eh, I'm not sure if that's true or not. Some of us just have goals in life we want to uh, hit on. You know, Guys will become doctors because they want the rest of the world to think they're great people. They do it because they have a passion for it. Uh, In Jay's case, there was always a motive behind what he did. Everything he did, there was a motive. Here on the road, he'd give somebody, let's say, a candy bar for whatever reason because he was hoping to garner some type of favor from that person or that person would speak good of him. Because in the back of his mind, remember, he is a snitch. He is a person who is informed on somebody else. Had that ever come about, had anybody dug deep enough, they would have found that out and they would have killed him. That was not to his benefit. So he stayed the way he was, out of sight, out of mind, f- for a
1: reason. Do you think with the Buddhism thing, which, you know, it's his personal religion, so I, I hate to kind of act like I'm piling on about it, but especially back then, it was, it was not a thing that a lot of Westerners were familiar with. It was treated with some deference. I think Um, it'd be really impossible to square his murdering these people with, with a Buddhist philosophy at the same time. I'm sure you're aware there's all kinds of um, people who are faithful to Christianity and Islam and other religions in prison. Um, I'm wondering if he kind of got a little bit of a pass or if I'm just way off base on that.
0: No, I, I think I think that's that's pretty reasonable he, he got a pass because you know he wasn't white he wasn't Mexican he wasn't black he's Asian there's not back then there was not many Asians on death row maybe a couple of them um, there wasn't someone who' was going to enforce rules usually in prison rules are, are, are enforced by your own kind so he was kind of in a in a conundrum you know people he was kind of in a conundrum not a whole lot of people bothered him They didn't speak he was really not thought about and as I said he didn't spend much time on the yard and went straight to North Norseg in my opinion because usually guys on these yards in East Block when they have nothing else better to do which is very often they start looking for victims and they start you know what's this guy about Let's start looking at his background it's just what, hap- what happens in prison it was only a matter of time for that happened to him so he got out of
1: here really quickly. Yeah, and one of his informant activities is is really diabolical, in my opinion, because he kind of ratted out the identity of the person who gave him a forged green card, which is you know th- that's someone essentially did you a favor if you want to say that, or it was a an honest transaction. I don't begrudge someone for. Um someone from that background, especially for for bending the rules to um to live in America. He he is quoted as saying he loved the American way of life. Um and he, he rats out the person who gave him the card. Is it doesn't that isn't that just really slimy? Well
0: yeah, as I said, he always had a motive in doing what he did or acting the way he did. And you know, here it is again. You're you're, see, you're witnessing what he does. Yeah, he's a real mal- mild-mannered guy. He's a mal, uh, mild-mannered guy. He's, you know, really quiet. He, he is what an American would think a Buddha should look like, except he hasn't shaved his head yet. And he's just, this. he wears this mask. But as you can see, when he wants something, nothing stops him from getting it. He has a laser focus when it comes to getting what he wants. He gets this guy to give him a green card. This guy gives him his plan of how to drink, bring in and drugs. And he, <laughs> what does he do? He wraps the guy out. But the bigger picture is he does for a reason. What's that reason? He wants the money to get him, uh, give him enough money to buy a, a passport into the United States. And I'm sure by doing that, I'm sure the, the Coast Guard or the law enforcement agency that assisted this thing operation – Probably put a good
1: word in to give him passage and give him a passport. Yeah, I'm slightly surprised that his, I mean, he was a low-level informant, obviously, but still he worked with the Drug Enforcement Agency and the INS, and it didn't do him any favors when it came to sentencing. I'm a little, uh, not surprised by that, but I could see if it worked the other way as well. You know what I mean?
0: Well, yeah, he got him what he wanted at the time, which was to get the U.S., get him money. But in terms of the penalty phase of his trial, it wasn't going to help him because, remember, we're talking about mitigating evidence and and aggravating evidence. And I'm sure there's, there's a prosecuting attorney there that at least would have seen it for what it was immediately and, and would have done exactly what I'm doing right now, saying, hey, look, this guy has always had opportunities, and these opportunities – he used them to his benefit. And then I would use the drug enforcement thing, I would use the the, the robbery in Covid in 1975, and everything he's done against them. So I don't think it would have really helped them because the mitigating evidence in this case, having two murders for a robbery, having priors in the same type of situation, r- ripping off or robbing a, 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 um, a, a, a market or store, would have counted against them. So I don't think that him helping drug enforcement would have helped a whole lot because I'm sure the DA would have painted the picture that I'm painting now about him, that he wears
1: a very well-crafted mask. Yeah. And so his trial is, uh, it's a slam dunk. You know, he's, his defense is only that there's this, uh, accomplice who actually committed the crimes who he won't name. Um, they trot some guy out who uh, is a witness that said uh, he heard a, a Thai male on the phone from jail confess to the murders. Obviously, we know what that is. That's, you know, uh, being <laughs> that's working with uh, the DA to get a favor for yourself. That's way too perfect. Doesn't make any sense. Um, but it was something but he's obviously convicted pretty easily. And uh, I guess the uh, special circumstances were that he, uh, that he uh, robbed these people.
0: He had three special circumstances, robbery, burglary, and multiple murder. Each one of them carries a death sentence or a possible death sentence. Yes. So there's three special circumstances in this case. And let's be fair. The physical evidence against him was huge. Um, it didn't take six months, a year to arrest this guy. It took a couple of days. And credit card, victim's credit card, victim's jewelry, cuts on his hands, his blood type on the jacket and the rope found in the garbage can, as well as in his home. It was just, again, slam dunk. It was a slam dunk. The only question was whether they were going to give him life
1: without the possibility of parole or death penalty. So, as we were saying, he gets to death row, he, is it fair to say he begins cultivating, well, however cynically you want to say it, either he's cultivating this Buddhist thing, or he's just becoming more faithful, um, but either way, he gets deeper into it once he arrives, right?
0: Yeah, he contacts the, the Buddhist community, they of course come to his aid, and as so I said, this guy, is a, he's a pretty nice fellow if there's nothing to gain in the situation where he's got to do something against you or kill you or rob you, if he's just living normal life, he, he doesn't need anything or just need anything that you have, you're fine. So yeah, he does, you know, the whole um, religious thing. And I, look, I'm one of the, anybody that ever heard me talk knows that I'm I'm one of the worst guys in the world when it comes to guys finding all of a sudden religion in prison. Or fighting, you know, I always say, what the hell are they doing? Why did they find, uh, that stuff when they were out or whatever. Why are they doing it now? Um, so he did find. I don't know if he found it or he just revived it in his in his life religion. And he stayed to himself. He did a lot of painting, and you know, here I am again, being bringing out on my baseball bat in this one. But um, you know, a lot of people, you know, called him an artist, and they they, they called him all these things. And my reply is that. Just because you can cook doesn't make you a chef. Just because you can draw doesn't make you an artist. He drew. He, he drew little things like hummingbirds and, and flowers, which went along with what people expected a Buddhist. You have sixty seconds remaining. What people expected a Buddhist to draw, and he cultivated that all the way till his death. And um, you know, he did bring a lot of people to Saint Quentin. There's about one hundred and fifty. Uh, protesters outside when he died. There weren't that many in the previous execution, and um, Jay did have a lot of support, as I mentioned. Daniel Vasquez, John Paul II, the governor's office was contacted by Taiwanese government. Bill Clinton, President, former uh, President Bill Clinton was contacted, as were uh, Madam um, Madeline Albright, the Secretary of State. So he did have some uh, supporters. Thank you for using Global Tel Link.
1: Hey, Matt. Hey. Yeah, so he did have a lot of supporters. uh, And I think we touched on before, including the the president or prime minister of Thailand, who asked for clemency for him, for his life to be spared. Uh, At the time, Thailand was executing people pretty frequently by machine gun. Uh, I'd like yeah. to point out.
0: That's kind of, yeah,
1: kind of a flip there, right? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> uh, but
0: uh I mean, you got to see it for what it is, right? I mean, you got this government is killing people by the dozens, and then they're calling up the United States and hey, spare this particular guy because uh, we're asking you to. I'm sure that a lot of people roll their eyes to that, but look, not not to stray from my particular line of thinking, but look, there's also the chance that this guy, after seeing the the, the wayward ways of his life, and what he had done, and that of taking two innocent lives, that he actually did change, and he, you know, he did go to Buddhism, and he did, you know, wasn't nice to people, and he was very polite, and, and giving, because he saw you know, the wrongness of his, of his ways. I, I don't know that for a fact, because I'm not in his head. Um, I'm only judging by what his prior acts, um, what they read, and what they read is what I what I said previously. But that doesn't mean that uh, he couldn't have changed. Now, a lot of people change in the weirdest circumstances. Um, but yeah, ultimately, he had a lot of people behind him, and his execution was a little puzzling because I think you and I have spoken about this because when they when they do actually execute you here, there's a process that goes through. And I don't think we've gone through this process. But um, so let's go over it a little bit. So the day of his execution, he would be able to visit with family, friends, if he has any. And I don't know if he had anybody besides his spiritual advisor here because the whole time that I spent with him on the road here, He never once received, but maybe one or two visits. If he did, I I don't remember. Um, So he spent him with him, and then six hours prior to the actual execution, those people are asked to leave. And if they are to be witnesses, the prison escorts them to a room to wait. In this case, it was a spiritual advisor. So they put Jay in a special holding pen, it's the death cell right next to where the door leads to the gas chamber, uh, lethal injections, the same chamber, that just changed the apparatuses to kill you a different way. Um, and that cell has right next to it another cell where they can, uh, your spiritual advisor can be somewhere six feet from you. There are also, you're assigned a death squad. And that death squad compiles of, uh, is composed of, Six San Quentin guards have been picked and uh, to escort you, to lead you into the gas chamber, um, and it's a precaution for security. The warden would be there as well, as would be the uh, watch commander and your spirit, the spiritual advisor. And that's how he was the last remaining hours of his
1: life. I don't believe he asked for a, a, a last meal. Uh, I, read right that, into the chamber. I read that it was canned peaches, but continue.
0: Well, yeah, I, didn't, I never heard that one before. Um, and he is obviously then led into the chamber. There was not a whole lot of back and forth of the courts and stays. He had pretty much exhausted everything. There was no last-minute thing unless the, his supporters, which were substantial, Daniel Vasquez, the warden, the former warden, as well as John Paul II and other government uh, officials from Thailand, um, had they been able to get the governor to change his mind and commute his sentence, that would have happened. Um, I don't think the governor would have been that dramatic and waited for the last second to do it, but he could have. But none of that really was taking place. Everybody knew that he was going to be executed. Um, Not a whole lot of back and forth, not a whole media circus either um, and the row was very quiet not a whole lot of guys were um, jumping up and down about it as I said had it been a white guy Mexican guy black guy there are groups on the row that you know, would take offense to that feel strongly about it because they were his friend in this situation none of that took place he was a Chinese um, national and um, for lack of a better word not a whole lot of people cared on the row So he's let in there, he's administered the dose of the uh, cocktail, that's what they they actually call it, and for some reason he lasted more than anybody ever has. Most people, when they inject the cocktail into their vein, within five minutes they are pronounced dead. In uh, Jay Seraphan's case, he lasted more than 15 minutes. Before he actually took his last breath, which is a long time—ten minutes more than anybody else—and um, from what I understand, one of the, the the victim's husband, who was asked in an interview, uh, stated that he would have granted him clemency, and his reason was because he was a Buddhist, and they do not believe in revenge.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that he got so much support. Um, And when you go through the cases that we've covered so far, of course, some of these guys would not be getting any support such as, you know, Bonin and people like that. But, you know, the previous guy that, that we talked about, uh, there were questions about whether or not he was guilty, but nonetheless, he didn't go around killing uh, you know, with disregard on a regular basis. So, so he he wasn't one of these evil serial killer type of category people. But I, I'm just wondering why this guy. And I think I know it's because he had this peaceful image. Um, is is that the reason that he got such an outpouring of support compared to other guys whose crimes were pretty similar? Well,
0: I think you're right in both accounts. You you, you have. So the five guys prior to him, let's say four, because the first four were, well, they are pretty despicable people. You have Robert Alton harris kills two boys. You have the second guy, Mason, kills six people. The third guy is William Byrne killed 37-plus boys and raped and mutilated them. You know, the fourth guy is, um, again, kills two people. He's been in and out of prison. Kind of a three-time loser. The fifth guy then, he does... Because you've seen all these bad guys. No one's really paying a whole lot of attention, but Tommy Thompson does bring up a lot of the horror stories that an innocent guys being killed. And then the next guy, of course, is Jay Serapon, And again, you see a guy who doesn't fit the profile of what a mad killer should look like. So, of course, a lot of people, I believe, that had gone to sleep about death, Tommy woke up again and found a reason to oppose it. Yeah, he was a model prisoner. He didn't cause problems. He's very polite to officers. He never assaulted an officer or an email while he was incarcerated. So it's easy for people to say, hey, this guy committed a crime, but it's, it was a one-time thing, and he doesn't deserve this. So I believe that you're right on both accounts. He didn't look like the part. His case certainly didn't look like one of those ones that would deserve the death penalty. However, he did kill two people, two innocent people that lost, um, that their families lost. So I can see arguments on both sides of this, you know, this particular position.
1: Yeah. I'm going back. I'm a little surprised that he didn't have more problems on death row because I'm, I'm picturing myself and I'm not a hardened criminal or a convict or anything, but in the real world, if someone walks up to me and gives me a flower and says, bless you or whatever, I'm like, who the hell do you think you are? You, you know, like there to me, that it seems like a smugness that I would not appreciate as a man, but I don't know if prisoners get into like passive aggressive, um, you, you know, if, if they perceive things on that level, or if it's more just, it has to be an affront. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it, that kind of behavior doesn't look, does not look up too favorably on in prison, giving people flowers and stuff like that. But he, <laughs> he got away with it because of how he looked. I mean, the truth of the matter is he looked like, you know, what an American would think of little Buddhism, he's a very quiet, humble guy. Um, and he didn't last very long in the yard. He was out there a very short time, and he was sent to North as I mentioned. And there, he lived among a bunch of guys. <sighs> Look, it's hard for me to even, but I'm being honest here. Look, North is for guys that are really are done. They don't want any problems. They're passive. Uh, they 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 want they don't want to be part of the East Block madhouse. Because East Block is where the worst of the worst, you know, the biggest gang members, the most—you uh, know—the predators all live here, and of course, in the Adjustment Center. So he didn't want any part of this. Um, and of course, I know I know it's crossing your mind, Matt. You're thinking, "Well, Bill, I mean, you know, why haven't you got a North Seg? And you know, well, the answer is real simple. I never want to lose my edge. I never want to lose that edge of living. In a place where I always have to be watching my back, uh, because when you go to sleep, that's how people get you. So I always keep my ears wide open, or, or um, sticking straight up, and my eyes wide open. And it's a state of mind. It's a way of living. He so didn't want to go through that. A number of guys that are up there. So I think it's sixty-four men that are up there. And by the way, North is the original death row. That's where in the fifties and the sixties death row was located up there. There's only sixty-four cells. And it's a little bit different to make up there than East Block. In North Sag. when they open your door, you can basically stay on a tier the entire day, walking around, mingling with different people. Everybody up there gets along. You can't do that in East Block. If you let five guys on the tier, you're going to have five fights. Because if those guys are on different yards, they're on different yards for a reason, because they're enemies. So it's a whole different ball game here.
1: Yeah, and... I guess it's a little bit ironic that you say that because Jay was not a guy who'd be able to hold his own in any kind of fight, um, but he does seem like the kind of guy that might kill you while you're sleeping. Uh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And no one falls asleep on these shards,
0: and um, he would definitely be a victim on these shards. Um, but... You know, things are different in in different parts of prisons, and Seg is kind of a safe haven for those people. All the guys up there have really, a lot of the guys up North Seg have really bad cases, what convicts consider bad, which are race and children-related cases. And um, because of his informing priors, or his priors being a snitch, that's where he elected to go to protect himself. I mean, as I said, he's always been looking after number one. He's looked after himself. And um, I think his actions, people louder
1: than any words or any actions, he he's in prison. Right. Um, I had a question, because you seem to have a pretty good handle on this guy's profile, and a thought that occurred to me. So when you look at um, when he was in Thailand and... Uh, He was robbing a store and he was robbing these two people in Orange County. Um, But Thailand at that point was a a third world country. And I'm wondering if he could have been doing some serial killer type of activities in his native country that simply they wouldn't have have.
0: 60 seconds remaining
1: that they wouldn't have the resources to figure out or if you think that his MO is pretty, uh, transparent, which is, I rob for, you know, I rob people for goods and money.
0: Yeah. Um, that's actually an excellent question. I'm going to answer it as soon as I get back. All right. So to answer your question is sure. Anyone can hide in plain sight. Serial killers do it all the time. However, serial killers, although they can go dormant for, you know, weeks, months, years, sometimes even decades, I do not believe, at least from my experience, that Jay Serapoz was a serial killer because he didn't have the makeup, in my opinion. I had a chance to observe him, and I've observed uh, dozens of serial killers over the years. And they all have a particular makeup that can't be helped. Uh, most of them have sexual gratification or something to their case that they can't help. And when they're in prison, they exhibit those particular behaviors by seeking out certain porn, by acting a certain way. The visitors that come to see them are a certain type of people. It's not very hard to hide this stuff. It's hard to, It's easy to hide it while you're out because no one sees behind your closed doors in your home. It's not so difficult or it is difficult to hide it in prison because everybody sees what you do. Serapon never exhibited any kind of behavior or kick that would lead me to believe that he at some point was a serial killer, boarded passage to the United States, and then robs a, a liquor store and kills these people that goes to death row. I just, his M.O., everything's totally different. It's, it's off. He was a guy that usually robbed because he needed something. Money, whatever it was. Um, And he seems to know the people that he robbed as well, at least from the crimes that we know he committed. Is it possible that he was doing something and no one knew about Absolutely. But if I were a betting man, and I am, I would bet money that Jay Serapon was exactly what We have spoken about uh, a guy who, a guy who hid very well, had a nice mask in place, and that mask was used to usually gain access or get close to people where they least expect them to do something. But it wasn't used as a serial killer, like to join, uh, to gain access to their home so that he can, you know, cut them up, mutilate them, have sexual intercourse with them, or rape them, or whatever. It just doesn't strike me as being true. If it did,
1: I guess it would say so. But no, I don't believe so. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so either. I just thought, you know, he he may have had the resources. Is, is all that I meant. But yeah, it it seemed like his, you know, he was executing these crimes for a different motivation. Um, mentally, I mean, how there was he? Because when I look at a lot of these crimes and I look at his crimes, I'm always amazed. It's not like I sit around plotting crimes, like here's how I would kill someone. But th- this is another example where he's just so inept at pulling this crime off. I mean, he, he had no chance of getting away with it. You know, are these, are these impulsive things or are these guys simply not good at what they've chosen to do with their lives?
0: Yeah, obviously, he wasn't a very good criminal, that's for sure. I mean, but again, th- th- these are crimes that. Um, I forgot. I forgot that these are crimes that we we know about. And from his actions and his ineptness, you would think that, you know what, he got caught every time he tried this stuff because he wasn't very good at it. But yeah, you're right. He, but he wasn't slow. He wasn't. You know, obviously, Marcelino Ramos or these guys that are really slow and they have IQ problems. From everything that I experienced and everything I saw from him, although English being his second language, of course, and he was um, he didn't explain himself as well as he should have been able to had he been born in this country. He's intelligent. You know, I mean, not highly intelligent. He wasn't a genius, but he was of normal intelligence. He knew he knew everything that was going on around him. I just think he was a very good criminal. He had a great mask. And had he been a serial killer, I'm sure he would have had a pretty high death count because he, he doesn't, you know, bring up, you know, pictures of horror in people's minds of what a serial killer should look like. You know, a very small guy. He probably weighed a buck fifty a buck fifteen if he was lucky.
1: That's so crazy that he was able to withstand the toxins for longer than these other you know, regular size, bigger, I mean, yeah, these bigger guys. Um,
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, I have no idea how that happened. I don't think anybody does except the person who did an autopsy on him. But yeah, you're right. 15 minutes to 5 minutes, that's a huge
1: difference. Well, uh, that's it for Jay. Uh, Yeah, like you said, his execution was, was fairly... Anticlimactic. He didn't have any last words. The the juice and peaches thing. Um, I, I guess he. Well, I don't know. I can't speak for him, but he knew he was gonna die. I guess, and uh, and that's what happened. So next week we're gonna get to the seventh person executed at San Quentin, and uh, that is Manuel Babbitt. Did you know him?
0: I did know him. He was a decorated uh, Vietnam battle uh, veteran. And, uh, yeah, I did know him, and he's a little bit more interesting than Jay. Um, so let's, yeah, let's um, prime the audience with um, that particular guy, Manny Babbitt, as you know Manny, and we will touch on him next time. And until then, this is uh, William A. Noguera from the Death Row Diaries.
1: And I'm Matt Ralston, and we'll see you next Monday.